Welcome to the Church Leadership Podcast, your weekly source for encouraging and equipping local church leaders with your hosts, Mark Ganey and Andy Frazier. In each episode, Andy and Mark sit down with church leaders that you should know. We believe these honest conversations will be helpful and encouraging to you as you lead the local church. Here is this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. Whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on your favorite podcast listening app, we are glad you were here. And you know our mission here at CLP is to encourage and equip you to lead in your local context. And I know our conversation today is going to do just that. Before we get to that conversation, though, I want to remind you to subscribe to the podcast. You can do that through any podcast listening app. You name it, where you listen, that's where we are. You can subscribe, and you can do that, of course, on YouTube as well. We don't want you to miss a single episode. And, of course, we invite you to rate our podcast at ratethispodcast.com slash CLP. That helps us get the word out. And now here is today's conversation. We are so glad you've joined us for this week's episode of the podcast. We have a great episode for today. We have a Dr. Jeff Orge, a return guest with us. You may remember... Dr. Orge from episode 19 of the podcast. Dr. Orge serves as the president of Gateway Seminary all the way on the West Coast in California. So we're so glad you've made uh, time to join us, uh, different time zones, different schedules, and we know you're a busy guy. So we really, really appreciate you joining us on the podcast today, Dr. Orge. Hey, I'm glad to be here, guys. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. And, you know, last time we did this, uh, you were actually in Alabama. So we were in person. That was that was a different world, a different time. I feel like it was a decade ago, even though it was just a couple of years ago, but uh, a lot has changed. And uh, even if you were in Alabama, we probably would not be face-to-face, just like Andy and I and are in a different spot. But uh, so here's what I want to ask you that's leading into this question. You are the president of a seminary in the middle of a pandemic. And I know those listening and watching probably aren't presidents of seminaries, maybe they may be, but, uh, but they're pastors and leaders of churches, leaders of organizations, and they've, tra- they've had to pivot some, and, and they probably have challenges, and so I would love to hear from you, Dr. Orge, what are some of the pivots you've had to make um, at the seminary, and, and some changes that you've had to, you maybe not have expected, but you had to instill to make sure that you continue to meet your mission? Well, let's talk about the obvious ones quickly, and then maybe some that weren't so obvious, uh, and maybe the not so obvious ones are maybe the things that are a lot more parallel to what other ministry leaders are going through right now. You know, obviously, last March, we had to pivot from face-to-face instruction to entirely delivering through online and video conferencing formats. This was a pretty simple change for us at Gateway. We were already delivering, excuse me, we were already delivering in those formats. And so the change was not learning to do something new. It was only scaling it up to a larger method or a larger amount of delivery. We already had the hardware and the software and most, most importantly, the training because of the institutional commitment we have to using educational technology. And so we were ready. We didn't even really know we were ready for a pandemic, but we were. And so that pivot was, was pretty simple and and it went really, really well for us. But the harder things that we've had to live through this year are some of the things that other ministry organizations have had to deal with. For example, we thought that Gateway was a place of innovation and flexibility and openness to change. And then the pandemic hit. And we found out that even we were stressed in those areas and stretched in those areas. 
Uh, it just seems like you get things fixed and then the governor comes out with another statement or the president makes another comment or the local health authorities make another ruling and you start all over again. And we feel like we've been starting all over again about every six to eight weeks for about a year now. And frankly, uh, that wears you down. I call it pandemic fatigue. You just get yeah. sick of dealing with the decisions and the redecision deciding and the uh, continual upheaval that you have to deal with. So, you know, that's been one big deal. And then a second thing for us, you know, everyone uh, talks about moving to remote learning because you all get to work from home in your PJs or whatever. And, <laughs> you know, it's just like de-stress is life and you get to be around your family and you get to be that well, I actually have employees saying to me, when can I come back to the office? Yeah. You know, we assume everyone has a large home with extra space and great internet. And that is simply not the case. That's right. A lot of employees live in smaller houses or apartments, or they have multiple children who are also at home doing school. And so uh, remote learning, or excuse me, remote working has been uh, challenging, not so much because the seminary can't function that way, but because it takes a tremendous toll on employees to have that thrust upon them, if you will. Yeah. Uh, another big thing that surprised us, then I'll stop and let you guys ask a different question because I could go on for the whole 25 minutes on this one. But <laughs> another big thing that surprised us has been how, how, how strongly our enrollment has been sustained through the pandemic. Now, like most schools, we've struggled to attract new students because they can't move here or they can't, re they can't start something new because they're so stressed with what they're doing. But our continuing enrollment from our continuing students has remained very strong because students have actually seen the pandemic as an opportunity when they can't travel, they, they can't go out in the evenings, uh, they can't do so many other things that were occupying so much of their time. They've actually signed up for more classes. And so... Uh, that's been an adjustment for us because we had all these expectations of needing to have more scholarship assistance, more benevolent support, more just interpersonal crisis intervention type care for students. And while there's been a little of that, nothing like we imagined. Instead, students have doubled down on getting more education done during this time frame than we thought they would even be able to attempt, much less accomplish. So those are some of the ways we've had to pivot and some of the challenges we've faced. And at least some of those, I think, are very uh much parallel with what other ministry leaders have had to deal with in other organizations. Yeah, I think you're spot on, Dr. Orge. Uh, all those things you mentioned, uh, I think every single person who listens to this podcast can relate in some way to those things. Um, their church, their organization has had to pivot, has has been challenged and stretched to the limits at times, and people are tired. They are are ready for a break. They're ready for something different. They're ready to to kind of uh, maybe scale back on the, the the workload that a lot of people have had to endure during this time that has increased. And but there's also good things that have come out of all of this. I mean, we're yes. we're prone to focus on the negative things and complain about you know how hard it is and how uncomfortable we are. But there's been so many good things that have come out of this. Yeah. And you mentioned one of those being your the steady factor in your enrollment. Those who are already in school are continuing to do that and even increasing their class loads. What are some other positive things that you've seen uh, in, in your world during yeah, this I time? Actually, yeah, I actually developed a presentation recently called Pandemic Positives. Hmm. And I've made this at a conference. I'm about to make the, a similar presentation next week at another conference to talk about what are some positives that are coming out of this. Let me give you two or three. First, the pandemic has revealed that we are, as an American church, far too committed to an attraction model of evangelism. 
when you take away attraction, which means come and hear our speaker, come and experience our service, come in uh, and, and participate in our event, when you take away attraction and you find out you don't have much left, it reveals a problem in how the American church has been approaching evangelism. Yeah. Uh, we seem to have moved far away from the the uh, conviction that every member of every church is supposed to be at some level a witness for the gospel. And we're supposed to be training them, motivating them and rewarding them for going into their workplaces and their communities and their sports organizations and their neighborhood associations with the gospel. And so I think the pandemic has revealed that we're putting far too much emphasis on one approach to reaching people. And we got to have some balance to this going forward. And I hope the pandemic has forced us to find that balance and will force us to maintain it or that we'll, we'll have the discipline to enforce maintaining it as we move forward. So that's one pandemic positive. Uh, another one has been the pandemic has really stripped us of a lot of extraneous activity that I think a lot of organizations and churches are now asking, why did we do that in the first place? That's right. You know, every, our, every organization collects what I call barnacles and that's things that just stick on and stay with you and they slow you down, but not that much. So you just keep making headway. But the pandemic has enabled us to chip all those off. And now we're asking, like at Gateway, you know, we're asking the, this question of all of our team as they're planning next year's budget. What is left during the pandemic that isn't coming back, that doesn't need to come back, that frankly wasn't doing anything that much for us? And so that's another positive is that it eliminated a lot of activity that now we can really analyze. Does that really need to come back? And, and instead of those things, maybe some more productive uses of time need to be implemented. Then I'll just give you one more. And that is the pandemic has really shown the importance of stewardship development. I've talked to multiple pastors who've told me that while their attendance has plummeted during the pandemic, even their online attendance is a fraction of what their face-to-face -face attendance used to be. Their giving has remained about the same. Huh, interesting. Well, what we found out was the casual attender who drops $5 in the plate on Sunday and calls that their stewardship, uh, we're not missing their financial contribution because it really wasn't making that much difference anyway. But the people who've been trained in stewardship, who give no matter the circumstances, who give as a disciplined part of their Christian discipleship. They haven't stopped giving just because the church stopped having public services. And I looked at the financial records of our church this last week for the month of January, and our church hasn't had a face-to-face -face service in the building in months. Now we're meeting outdoors in California, which we're able to do because of the weather and other things. But even there, we have very much restricted how many people can be on the parking lots and all that kind of thing. Attendance is a fraction of what it was before. But the offerings for January actually exceeded last year's offerings. Why? Because the stewards haven't stopped giving. And our church has a strong uh, process of developing stewards. And it's showing to be useful during this time or productive during this time. So, you know, that's just three pandemic positives that I've identified. I've got three or four more I've thought of. But those are some of the main ones. But every leader ought to be asking that question right now. What have we learned, experienced, or developed, or changed because of the pandemic that we either need to preserve or not go back to, or in other words, learn from and make our organization better because of what we've lived through these past months. Absolutely. Dr. Orge, I can, I can confirm and verify every single thing you just said. You know, I mean, just in the last couple of weeks, that 
you know, we, we knew the attraction-based church was not uh, the answer in God's design. And so, we, you know, we've never been in that direction in our church, but we realized that we're not doing a good enough job actually training our people to be those evangelists. And so we put, we put a bunch of virtual training out there, how to impact the people around you. And uh, it's all virtual because, uh, you know, um, we can't really have a training on campus, even though we worship on campus, we're trying to keep that, uh, you know, limited even here, here in Alabama. But uh, I agree with you. Um, people need that. And, and uh, I think I think that is certainly, and all those you just said are a positive that we've experienced as well. Yeah, I'll just give you one more quick one. And that is uh, the church, the American church has been forced to learn to use technology in new ways. And I mean, when our church, uh, my wife was in a Bible study at our church and most of the women in that class are 60 and older, maybe some of you in their 70s and 80s. The first week they all logged onto Zoom, it was like a circus. It was really <laughs> comical. But by the third week, they were all Zoom experts, let me tell you. Now, we've been forced to do this. Let me give you just one anecdote. Our church has for years had a Monday night prayer meeting. The pastor leads it and it's a high priority in his schedule and in his ministry. Our church would normally have about 800 on a Sunday morning. He'd normally have 20 to 40 on the Monday night prayer meeting. During the pandemic, he moved the prayer meeting to Zoom. He has a short meeting for everybody, and then they move into small groups in the small Zoom rooms, and they have small group prayer, and then they come back together at the end for a shorter devotional and a large group prayer. They spend, of the, of the 60 minutes on the call, probably 52 minutes are spent in focused prayer, all right? They're averaging uh, over 140 on that Zoom call. Wow. And he told me, we're never going back to a face-to-face -face prayer meeting. Because he said, I didn't realize how many people can't make the commute back on Monday, who have children at home, who can't get, get childcare, who, have, uh, who can't drive after dark, who for whatever reason just can't come out to another meeting. And he said, all of those people have been participating with me throughout on this Zoom prayer meeting. And he said, it's a permanent fixture of our ongoing strategy to have this Zoom prayer meeting every week because I see how many people will pray if I'll call them together by that means. So this is what I mean when I say the church has been forced to use technology in ways that don't anticipate it, but it can't give that up. Now we have to preserve the best uses of that technology and carry it forward with us because it's going to be here to stay. And that's a good thing. That's exactly right. And, and I mean, you know, we were headed in that direction, I think, anyway, and, and this accelerated that. And, and, you know, speaking of acceleration, you know, we, we've been a social media culture for a while now, but I think the pandemic accelerated that, too. And what I've noticed is, especially among, you know, Gen Z and some millennials, they've got this mindset, whether they verbalize it or not, that if they're not, you know, a social media icon, if they're not famous, if they're not known, then they can't really make a major change. And so I want to pivot our conversation a little bit because you, you wrote a book that came out last year, Shadow Christians, you know, making an impact when no one knows your name. Most of the people listening to the podcast and watching are never going to be famous, right? You know, we're, we're never going to be famous, but God still wants to use us to make an impact. So talk a little bit about how we can do that, even though maybe nobody knows our name. Yeah, I've become more and more convinced after 40 plus years of being a Christian leader that most of th the things I've accomplished and gotten credit for have actually been accomplished by thousands of unnamed people who believed in the vision I was casting and rose up to get it done. And so I 
call those people shadow Christians. And that conviction led me to a study in the New Testament. I started studying the characters in the New Testament who made a consequential impact, whose names are not in the stories. And really, there's a lot of them. My first ones were those church planters in the book of Acts in Acts 11 that started the church at Antioch. They, they're described this way, some men from Cyprus and Cyrene, just some dudes, some guys. And I thought, here's people who started the most consequential church, perhaps in the world, in the history of the world, certainly the most consequential church for the missionary movement that we're still living out today. And their names didn't make the book. I mean, really? And then I could just go down the line. People that are even well-known to us, like the woman at the well. What's her name? Uh, not listed. The leper. His healing is told in all four Gospels. No name given. The little boy with the lunch. What was his name? Nah, didn't get that one. I could go on and on and on. And so I started cataloging these stories and spent several years just researching and thinking about people in the Bible who made a consequential difference but didn't get their name in the story. Now, that's in contrast. There are 170 named characters in the New Testament. So names matter in the Bible. And a lot of people did get their name in the story. So then that just led me to ask the question, why are some omitted? And I think it's because God wants us to know that you can make a significant, what I call consequential difference, even if you're not well known, you don't have 10,000 social media followers, your name's never put up in lights, you don't get invited to preach the keynote message you can still make a significant difference. And that's why I wrote Shadow Christians. And quite frankly, I hope it encourages millions of believers to understand they really do matter. Yeah, that's that's a, a, a lot of what Mark and I talk about. And, and our heart is to reach out and to encourage and equip leaders in the local church. And a lot of the people who listen to the podcast and even some of the guests we invite to be on the podcast end up being people who serve in a local church that they're not going to get that platform. They're not the best-selling author. They're not the, you know, the, the large organizational leader, but they are making, like you said, I love that phrasing. They are making a consequential impact where God has put them. They're making a difference for the kingdom. They're making a difference in their community and other people's lives. So uh, that's, that's fantastic. As a matter of fact, I think that might be a great way, Mark, wouldn't you say for us to kind of close out our time together, uh, Dr. Orge, uh, having been through what you've experienced in, in leading an organization, major change, and then having to work through a pandemic and now having written a, a book about these not only characters in the Bible, but how that applies to us today. How would you encourage somebody right now who maybe they're struggling with the, the thought of, is God really using me or can I make a difference? Can I make an impact, especially with everything that we have going on? You know, I want to somebody. Say- Exactly. I want to say that I'm grateful for what I call spotlight leaders. I'm grateful for the people on the platforms and the people who lead the large organizations. God made them too, and we need them. Absolutely. But for every one of them, there's hundreds, if not thousands of people whose names are never known that make the difference. I was preaching in a church on this theme recently, and I said, for example, we're sitting we're in this auditorium that seats you know, hundreds of people. Who built this building? Who paid for it? Who made it happen? No one in this room knows any of their names. And yet their consequential gifts 20, 30, 40 years ago made it possible for us to be here today. And then I was on a radio show recently and I said to the host when he asked me about Shadow Christians, I said, how many people are in your studio right now that you can physically see? He said, well, about five. 
And I said, that's exactly the point. It takes one guy to be on the radio, but it takes five people to put him there. And these are the shadow Christians, the people who work behind the scenes, running the soundboards and the lights and making sure everything's functional so that somebody's voice can go out over the radio. And I think about my life, man, people like Burtis Williams, Andy Hogue, E.Y. Washam. These are men who impacted me profoundly. No one's ever heard their names. No one knows who they are. But they were shadow Christians in my life. And that was people who worked behind the scenes to make me who I am today. And that's the story that all of us can have. And so recognize that if you're one of those people, you are making a difference. You really are. Amen. And what you do is consequential as you contribute a small part to the whole movement of God that's taking place through your church or in his kingdom in your community. Amen. Well said. That is a fantastic way to, to really put the icing uh on the cake of this episode. Dr. Orch, thank you so much uh, for joining us again. And, you know, we, we don't ask guys to be back on the podcast to be repeat guests unless we know they've made an impact the first time. And so you did. And, and I know this episode will too. So thank you so much for joining us. again. Hey, thanks for inviting me guys. And thank you for your ministry of encouraging believers to really fulfill what God wants them to accomplish in expanding his kingdom. Well, Dr. Orch, you have encouraged us so much. We want to invite you when you come back this way, to uh, let us go out and, and eat some barbecue together. How much yeah. more encouragement could we get from a conversation in person over barbecue? I don't know. That would be fantastic. All right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Listen, that's a bucket list item of mine. I want to take you to the best barbecue place in the world. Okay. That's, that's a bucket list. I've got to get you there. <laughs> well, thank right. you guys for listening and watching. And we know you've been encouraged and equipped to lead in your local church. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thank you for watching and listening, and don't forget to check out the show notes in this episode for some of the links to the, the book and other resources that we've mentioned in this episode. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Church Leadership Podcast. Don't forget to share, subscribe, and even review our podcast on your favorite podcast listening app. 